1: Of Tokyo Bay.
2: We begin the attack on Earth now. We persuaded the thing to help you with what little power it has left.
1: They're going to
3: control you now. Happy holidays and welcome to the Kaiju Cast and that was a little too loud. This is a monthly podcast that is 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited friends. This month, I am joined by the hosts of Missing Real, a web series that celebrates the history of grindhouse cinema. We'll be talking with them in a few minutes, but we also have this month's Daikaiju discussion for the 1966 Gamera vs. Barugon. Uh, and uh, we're gonna play some requests starting with uh, something that came from Vince that he thinks everyone will enjoy Right, we started that request block out with the Godzilla theme from Always on uh, Always Sunset on Third Street Two by Naoki Sako, which was requested by Vince, and I gotta say, like, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for requesting that, Vince. It's it's got a little twist on it, very good, very good to hear. And uh, then I played Godzilla's Rage by Kawatani for Sean, uh, which was, of course, is from Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, giant monsters all out attack. And then Showdown on Mount Fuji by Akira Fukube from Destroy All Monsters. And that was for Joe. Thanks, guys, for putting in those last-minute requests. I know according to Facebook, Joe's came in first. But, man, when I saw them both, I just I had to play each of them. So let's go ahead and turn our special attention to our very, very awesome guests at the uh, KaijuCast headquarters. On a recent episode, I uh, said that I thought Godzilla movies, while technically not Grindhouse, go hand-in-hand with these films that seem to include a wide variety of film stock. From Kung Fu to Camp Killers, I would imagine that in the 70s, these films would be shown in the same theaters and sometimes attended by the same audiences. Here in Portland, we have a budding new web series that claims to be the new home of Grindhouse history. And joining me here in the KaijuCast headquarters are Heather, David, David, and Kurt from Missing Real. Welcome to the KaijuCast.
4: Thank you for having us,
3: thank you. Thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, So do me a favor, and um, not just for me, but for the listeners as well, define Grindhouse.
4: Kurt, you wanna feel that one?
5: No, I want you to feel that
4: one. Well, you know, Grindhouse, um, I mean, it depends on where you lived and, and what sort of city you were, but Grindhouse, is basically these theaters that were primarily located in, in bigger cities. They were located in the downtown area and most of them had sort of fallen into a state of disrepair in the, starting in the sixties when people started moving out to the suburbs and the studios would just sort of dump movies in there. And they were, um, quite often B pictures, exploitation pictures, a lot of the stuff that Roger Corman produced and, um, and somewhere along the line, although I can't quite tell you when the term grindhouse became popular, uh, in, in New York City, these theaters were all on 42nd Street, like in Times Square. But in other cities, they existed here in Portland. Um, towards into the 80s, like the old Broadway theater became a grindhouse theater where they you would see two movies for 99 cents. And it was like maximum overdrive and then, you know, something else that, you know, like zombie Island massacre. Um, and, but then at the same time, like the drive-in theaters that were located in the suburbs showed the same, a lot of the same movies that the grindhouse theaters showed. So that's sort of how I, I look at it. Um, you know, now they make, they still make movies that are, you know, if, if they'd come out in like 1974 would have played in those theaters, but most of those theaters don't exist anymore. So it's more about the theater. Uh, it's a combination of the combination. two. I, I think I think it's become a catch-all phrase. It's, um, an,
5: it's an aesthetic.
4: Um, well, get that out. there there definitely is an aesthetic to it. But I, I, I mean I remember um, you know growing up in uh, outside of New York City, and I, I remember a theater that was showing It's Alive and Star Wars in the same theater, and it was a Grindhouse theater. Uh, it was right on Forty Second Street, right off of Broadway, and you know. No one is going to consider Star Wars a grindhouse movie, but *It's Alive* kind of was. So right. right. Um, but there definitely is an aesthetic to uh, films that are considered grindhouse films, but and those tend to be um, some some people would call them exploitation films or B movies or you know, I mean, they they've been around forever. Uh, in the 40s, 30s, and 40s, they were called poverty row pictures. Um, because they were just turned out by, you know, like in two or three days, and they were always released as the B feature. I did not know that. That's. Now you've learned something new? I, I know. <laughs> I love learning.
3: Uh, and I like Kurt, you said aesthetic. Um, I, I did. I'm not going to say it yeah, again, but you okay. yeah, said it the first time. Aesthetic. And uh, I totally admit that, you know, if it weren't for that Tarantino Rodriguez picture, uh, you know, the Grindhouse Film with uh, Planet Terror and Death Proof in it, I wouldn't have sort of a mental image of what I think of the the term Grindhouse in my brain when I when I when I say it out loud. Do you guys is there does that term Grindhouse mean something specifically to you guys?
6: I think about Italian horror films. Um, whenever you uh, when I like watching an Italian horror film, um, there are theaters everywhere. I mean, like in Europe, there are theaters everywhere, and like you people go to the theaters and they see stuff and it's like it's movies and, and not necessarily movies that made that that were box office hits it was just like i'm going to go you know like in, i'm i'm going to go see a movie and like you could see anything any movie you wanted and it was they didn't play not nothing was box office i don't know like they weren't box office hits and so like watching italian horror movies and watching um like Herschel Gordon Lewis films growing up um i just i kind of picked up like the there was there wasn't an aesthetic, and that that when you walk into a movie theater and you can see they're not they're not playing you know um, uh, I do legally blonde or something it's it's that's that's it's, you're not watching a regular movie you know like right. you're watching you're watching a movie that that didn't it was NC seventeen or or. And it didn't it didn't make the it didn't make the cut. It didn't have the money. It was turned out in two or three days. Herschel Gordon Lewis movies were most of the time filmed in two to three days and then in production and out within a month. And um like that that's a grindhouse film. It's like I, I always kind of thought that when you grind on a movie and you throw it in a house to be seen, that's a grindhouse film.
3: Right on. Right on. Do you guys feel the same way of that? About- I'll let you go first, Kurt, if you want. I mean- uh,
5: yeah, I sure um i don't i love those grindhouse movies the uh, the tarantino rodriguez uh double feature from the minute that first trailer hit until the last uh of the credits of death proof uh what a fantastic thing that was and it really it, it, it is a definition of a grindhouse film uh if you want to plant a generic aesthetic on it that's probably the way to go there's a, a much broader definition as, as heather was talking about you know it, there's foreign films thrown in there italian noir uh, giallo films what they call them. I I don't think you're off base in thinking that there's some kaiju uh, or some uh, tokusatsu something that, that will f- that fits in uh, that time period uh, kind of rushed into production um, you know not every country has hollywood we have hollywood and we throw a ton of money at Hollywood to make big Hollywood movies that m- hit big broad audiences with the big Julia Roberts George Clooney brush and that way they come in and they make the money back to that uh, distribution company and the theater makes a ton of money by charging you 15 bucks for a bag of popcorn uh, but there's a whole layer of, of films uh, I think the only the only definition that I would place to um uh, a type of film i wouldn't even i wouldn't place it to a type i would place it to a, a time period you know there are different periods there's there's the time there's the period of of drive-in exploitation films or films that were taken around in tents that that era of of exploitation film in the 50s uh you got into the mid 60s and you had those suburban theaters popping up uh, popping up to take the big movies and you had the rundown inner city theaters uh, and then you had the era of home video and then, you, you know, different eras. So when I think of Grindhouse, I think of a, a period mid-60s to that first era of home video in the early 80s. But I don't, I, I wouldn't say uh, a, a film like that Tarantino Rodriguez or Machete um, or any of those uh, are a definitive stamp of what's Grindhouse.
3: Mm-hmm. But they sort of, they're. I think they're trying to appeal to that grindhouse aesthetic, I, I, of course feel,
6: so. I feel like I feel like what what I mean Tarantino is I mean his entire career was has been based off of paying homage to people like like every time that um in all of his movies there are you know songs that that like you I mean you could go your whole life without having heard and mm-hmm. I think that's strange I mean I find it strange but like a lot of people are like oh oh you know that Al Green song yeah that was in Pulp Fiction. No, it's an Al Green song. You know, yes, it was in Pulp Fiction. I understand that that's true, but it's, it's an Al Green song, and and it's just it's just strange that so many people go their whole lives without having known these things. And I feel like, I mean, as much as I have other feelings about Tarantino, um, you know, that, not all of them negative, but you know, some hack related, um, that he he truly does want to want to pay his respects to the things that he likes and he wants other people to learn to like them too. However, not everyone is that intelligent and they just <laughs> call it a Tarantinoism and it's not. Yeah. Um but I mean like uh I don't I don't agree completely. Well, I mean I do to a degree that Grindhouse is um is an era, it's a time um but I would consider a lot of Tarantino movies Grindhouse esque the way that the way that they were done because the way that Lloyd Kaufman does things is he doesn't grow up or grow. I mean, I'm surprised he knows how to use Twitter and he does (laughs) very well. But, but I mean, just recently in two, I think it was 2007 when he switched to digital. I mean, he was using film for that long and, and, and he's had employees that have come and gone that have been, you know, like, dude, you are wasting your time. You're wasting your money. We could have burned this so fast, but he's always run off of that method. And it was a method that he learned in the seventies. and, so that in and of itself is Grindhouse. And I feel, feel like that can continue, even though trauma really didn't pick up until the home video era. Right. So, but that to me is still Grindhouse because it's the way that he filmed it. So um, to me, now in that respect, aside from enjoying the trailers, I don't think that the Tarantino Rodriguez is Grindhouse because it took a lot of money and a lot of time. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because when I think of Grindhouse, I think of the two things I think of the most um, are is bad dubbing and really bad smells. Um, and that was because there was a, a theater that we went to when I was a kid uh, in, in Norwalk, Connecticut, South Norwalk, Connecticut, called Sono Cinemas. And um, and it stunk. The whole theater smelled like um, just like a, it smelled like burnt butter and a urinal. And um and and but that's where I saw like these bad Bruce Lee movies. They weren't even Bruce Lee movies, they were like Bruce Lee, um the man not Bruce Lee the man, the myth, but like these Bruce exploitation movies that like all the kids would run out to see because they thought it was Bruce Lee and it never yeah. was. Yeah. Um and I saw the only Godzilla movie I'd um well, no, I've seen some of the more recent ones, but I saw Godzilla versus Megalon at that theater, and I saw The Giant Spider Invasion, and I saw all these movies that, you know, are, are exactly what we talk about, the aesthetic, but I saw them in the theaters, and it always seemed like either the movies had bad dubbing or the the, the audio was out of sync, and so, you know, and, yeah. and it just always stunk. And whenever I want to see a movie the air, my mom would be like, oh, but that theater smells so bad. <laughs> and, um, and it did... But that's like what I associate with it. So to me, like even what Heather's talking about, like I can watch, you know, Planet Terror or Death Proof or or any other um, film that's supposed to, you know, they're trying to get that that feeling. But it's like, well, it's never going to have it because like I'm not unless I'm watching it in a, you know, like a dirty, you know, bathroom or something like that (laughs) or or at a drive in because we, we would watch a lot of stuff at the drive in. And that always seemed like. You know, the more risque, exploitative films are always, like, after we were supposed to be asleep in the back seat of the car. Right on, and, yeah. And so I remember um, watching part of The Brood when I was a kid, and that movie just, like, freaking me out. And I, and I don't even remember what the movie was we'd gone to see, um, you know, that my mom had taken me and my cousins to see. And we'd fallen asleep, but I was, you know, watching The Brood, and, like, oh, man, even today, it just kind of creeps me out, so...
6: I mean, that happened in my generation too,
4: Yeah, where I, I
6: remember going to see, I don't remember what it was, but we went to the drive-in because we used to go all the time because it's easier to sneak a trash bag full of popcorn into the drive-in than the actual theater, even though we did that too. Um, we went and we fell asleep in the car and um, I woke up and Tix was on, that Seth Green movie from like 94. Oh and And I... I, you know, it woke my brother up because if there's one thing that he and I have both loved for, I don't, since we were old enough to skin our knees is, is blood and like looking at it, especially on screen and going, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Um, but yeah, that, that, and that movie, that, that was the first horror movie. Well, that's not true, but I mean, the first horror movie I'd seen on my own separated first horror movie I ever saw was troll Two because my dad was watching it. And I will always attest that that movie is rad and it scared the bejesus <laughs> out of me when I was a kid because there's nothing scarier than a creepy woman with bad teeth telling you to drink something and you doing so and then turn it into a, what I always thought was they turned into plants and then they were eaten. And like that was like the, the it just stuck with me. And I like six or seven years ago, I asked my brother what it was and he goes, I have no idea. And I looked it up and I was like, that was troll too. So I bought it and we watched it. And of course now it's the best worst movie and everyone's watching it and everyone knows what I'm talking about and that makes me sad, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, ticks. I mean, it is the same degree of just green news and, 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 and nasty for the sake of nasty and um, the one scene where the guy rolls out a roll of condoms and he goes, we're going to have fun. I got lots of drugs and and then rolls out a roll of condoms and I didn't know what that was and so I thought that condoms were drugs so when I found them in my mom's dresser I freaked out told my <laughs> brother that my that our mom was on drugs <laughs> like you know, just it's that those kind of things stick with you when you're a kid and um and they I, I don't know I don't think anyone would be the same if they hadn't seen a nasty movie when they were young
4: oh gosh there's <laughs> so many of them and um and and again like to me like there's nothing can compare to seeing something in a theater um and sometimes it's the things that you see like in the theater itself not the movie anyone who has lived in portland long enough or might remember the old broadway theater which again it it just fell into a state of disrepair and i remember that um the toilet the water in the toilets was black and um and you, you wouldn't go into the, the bathroom by yourself because there was always either junkies shooting up in the bathroom or hookers turning tricks in the bathroom at the old Broadway theater. But you could see two movies for 99 cents. So that was like, <laughs> that was it. You know, we're going to watch Maximum Overdrive all day. Well, it was, I don't remember what the, it was Maximum Overdrive and I don't remember what the second feature was, but it couldn't have been any good. um and, yeah, and, you know, you'd sneak beer in or whatever in your pockets and, and that sort of stuff. And that's that's part of what it's all about, I think. And they're not around anymore. <laughs> yeah, but see, now I'm at that age where it's like I'd never go into a theater like that. I'm not going in there. The water in the toilet's black. And there's junkies shooting up. But when you're, like, 16, that's it's like, who's good. Going to
5: cool, dude? Yeah, you've got a big old movie screen right over here behind me. Yeah, about 20 feet and you got beer. I don't have to sneak uh, right in beer on, on the desk. So um, all David has to do is pee in the corner and I think we're set.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Just, there's no crying babies. I mean, I was talking to my cousin about this not that long ago when we saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in the theater and there wasn't there's was probably only a dozen people in the theater and not including myself and him, most of them were kids that were there with like one family and they were running around the theater. The baby was screaming and they were playing tag like in the theater. And that, you know, we, we, like it, that just doesn't, I mean, I guess stuff like that still sort of happens, but it's not necessarily in a theater where there's like roaches crawling on the floor. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, you don't put your popcorn down cause the rats will get to it. And <laughs> you know,
3: <laughs> so do you guys find that, uh, Grindhouse, even though, um, even though, grind. You know, we talk about international films played in America. Do you find that Grindhouse is a term that can apply worldwide? Like, did people in Hong Kong see crappy American movies, and uh, do they? You know, do you think they had the same experience, or is this like sort of just something that we here in America?
5: Well. That I was I think the everybody chair. Everybody saw yeah. crappy American movies. Yeah, we were kicking them out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we were factory. And, and, they,
1: and, they, we would. They, and they
6: made their own. Like they, yeah. they saw they saw one of our movies and not having the money to translate that, or really fully under. I mean, I've seen um, uh, Thai like like Batgirl. Uh, yeah. th- a Thai movie background oh, yeah the yeah, whole yeah, Turkish yeah. film industry yeah is all and, 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 and they and they're based Hollywood off of movies. off of our films and our ideas or our comic books and things that, that they got from us and, th- and not being able to <laughs> speak English <laughs> or understand like what's going on they made their own storyline and concept
4: yeah it, you they might not have had the same experience I'm not sure if in like Tokyo um they had drive-in theaters per se. But um, the whole exploitation aspect of filmmaking, which defines a lot of grindhouse films, is, is universal. Um, and, and those films tend to be the easiest to translate. I mean even today, the films that do the American films that do best overseas tend to be like action movies, you know yeah. like, a, like a diehard sort of movie where there's not a lot of dialogue. Um, and, and the same is true here. So like in the 70s, um, when movies were coming over from, whether it was Italy, or Japan, or Hong Kong, um, they were, they were more often the ones that were the most easily translated, and so you, you can watch, like, an Italian horror film, or, uh, like, some Yakuza movies that might have come over here, and go, oh, I really, I'm into those movies, and then you, like, go back and watch, like, other films, you know, other Yakuza films from Japan, and, like, they don't make any sense whatsoever, um, but yeah, I, I think that I think that, that aesthetic is is very much a universal thing. Um,
6: but the concept itself probably isn't. Yeah, they I don't, mean, yeah, because of not having Hollywood, because of not having Regals, because of not having all these theaters that were coming up that were going to show you the new uh, Grace Kelly and Fred Astaire and all the, You know, like every I don't know. Or,
4: well, you know, like, but what's interesting is like um, like if you if you look at world cinema, like. There, you know, in parts of Africa, there are movie theaters that are literally um, like these these just buildings made out of like mud with a VCR and a, and a TV setup, yeah. and that passes as a movie theater. Um, and so, like, now that would be a Grindhouse experience right there. You know, to go into like Tanzania into some village where they're watching like like a Seagal movie or a Van Damme movie. Those movies are really big. And it's like this whole underground industry. Um, and I think that in America, especially America, like we've taken on this concept that like film is supposed to be high art or something. Whereas in a lot of countries, uh, especially Italy, it was like this, this working class sort of entertainment. And a lot of the movies that were turned out in Italy and Japan were meant for like the working class people, like you, you work five, six days a week, and then one day off, you you go and you see a double feature, and so, um, yeah, you, you you know, especially in the '60s and '70s, you get the violence and the sex, and that's what makes movies fun anyway. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that no matter what country you would go into, you would have a different experience. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I I mean, I often wonder. You know, I'm sure that every country has a different way of watching movies to a certain extent, especially their exploitation movies. But I, I think like wouldn't it have been cool to be like in Hong Kong in 1978 watching, you know, Thirty Six Chamber of the Shaolin for the first time um, and seeing it like in that context. Because every city that you go to, no matter what state, what country it's in, audiences respond to things differently. And I, I've often wished I could just magically you know, go back to other places in time and watch certain key movies with, like, the target demographic. You know, watching Django with Franco Nero in, like, 67 or 68 in Italy with an Italian audience and just watching them go nuts when he first blows the bad guys away. Um, Yeah, I would totally
3: love to be in Japan in 1965 and see... How they like invasion of the Astro monster, yeah, that yeah, would be a to- total kick
4: and And again, because there's so much cultural context that that we don't get and that that isn't translated when they do the bad dubbing jobs or whatever. I mean, they're just thinking, okay, we want to get this movie into the theater on Friday and by Monday make as much money as we can. We don't care, you know if there's subtlety. I watched a movie the other day where they got the lead character's name wrong through the whole movie because it was dubbed in English. And it was just like, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do?
3: So uh, clearly you guys all have an affinity for these movies and you've essentially studied them and you're, you're somewhat experts. So let's talk about the show. Let's talk about Missing Real. How did you guys come together to get all this to happen?
5: Country style pork ribs
3: country-style pork ribs.
5: <laughs> really I
6: made the true. mashed potatoes. They love my mashed potatoes. I um,
5: was uh, desperate for work. been a media producer for ever and ever and ever. And um, finally got to the point where you could see that if you made a well-made web series, there was a potential for you to get some form of distribution and actually make a very meager living doing it. I'd rather make a meager living doing this than, uh, you know, make mid-six figures working in some office somewhere. Uh, So I just took what I loved uh, and I took my production skills and I made a seven-minute demo of what I thought Missing Reels should be uh, in a bedroom studio with a green screen. Suit, uh, a lavalier mic, uh, a little HD camera. Uh, And was able from that to get a few thousand dollars in funding, put the gear together, and immediately contacted David Walker, who came over for lunch on a summer day, and that was country-style pork ribs. And uh, my cooking and my gracious uh, southern charm via Portland native um, came out and melted his heart, and he uh, (laughs) agreed to partner up with him, because that was legal at the time.
4: Yeah, it all sounds right to me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's exactly as David remembers it. But it's you know it's stuff that I love. It's stuff yeah. I grew
5: up with and in, in the in the movies that I know better than anything. And and I know David knows them inside and out. I mean, the guy has spent 15 years with Badass Mofo, uh, doing that, cranking out all manner of uh, review on black exploitation, spaghetti western, whatever he feels like. He's a pop culture icon in Portland, so I had to have him.
3: I knew who he, who he was before I started listening to Court and Fat
4: Boy. He's so pretty. <laughs> 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 That's always just odd to me. It's like, really, you, you had that much free time on your hands that you could actually. It, it, what's it, actually what is interesting though is that outside of Portland, I'm I'm actually more well known than I am in Portland. And so I'll I am I will be out in another city, and someone will stop me and go, "You look really familiar. Don't I know you from somewhere?" And I don't I try to never say anything, but it's inevitably like, you know, I've been on shows like on E! True Legends of Hollywood and VH1 specials. And it's almost always from that that they know who I am. And but here it's like the Albertina Kerr PSA that everybody recognizes me from or they recognize my voice from the Court and Fatboy show. I
6: recognize you from the coffee shop.
4: That's right. That's well, that's where we met. So or now they can recognize you from the Black Star Warrior well they they know that i i tell people that i wrote that and they kind of freak out and go but now people are, are recognizing me from missing real which has been um also just sort of interesting um you know and in portland especially there's a, there's enough of a you know i guess you could call it geek or nerd culture where like it's not just 10 people in a room like there can be an event and there'll be hundreds if not thousands of people but um even still like I'll be at the grocery store and someone will just say something to me. Um, and it's nowadays, it's right now in this moment, it's the missing real moment. And that's that's totally cool too. Yeah, like so. a
5: week and a half ago, he does this event in front of uh, five, 600 people, to Baghdad. Uh, goes through the whole thing. It's two and a half hours of uh, a lot of David uh, talking, which... Of oh, the faces of men? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just yeah, his so. favorite thing to do. Um, and he never once mentions the show. They keep asking him. They go at the end of the show. Anybody got anything to say about anything? Anybody want to plug anything? Uh, I'm David Walker, and then it just kept. So David ended up plugging his favorite subject, myself. And uh, the minute was over, I had to leave, so I didn't have time to run down and find him and chastise him for not plugging the show because we are whores. Well, plug the show, but people at the Baghdad,
3: you him. totally could have stood up and yelled, you were right next to me. You could, could have been have like,
5: stopped. don't forget have. Missing Real! I, I kind of wanted to, but uh, I got my vindication because he texted me uh, two hours later. So many people stopped me on the way out of the theater <laughs> and harassed me for not plugging Missing Real. And I felt
4: good. Yeah, it was pretty, it was an odd feeling. I'm, I am I. tend to be bad about some of that sort of stuff. I'm trying to get better. But there's just this, Um, I, I know enough people who brag about all the things that they do and it's like, just shut up. Yeah. Like, you know, really, come on. You call that a comic book? You suck, dude. <laughs> and so. Well, I know
3: about the show from you mentioning yeah. it on Court and Fat Boy. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have watched it. And then, and then Kurt mentioned, uh, mentioned that he was a fan of the Kaiju cast on my Facebook page. And uh, but how did how did
5: Heather get involved? That's a good question. <laughs> David called me and said, "You got to meet me at this bar. I met this girl. That, I think that's... she'd be perfect."
6: Is not, that is not what happened. No, that's
5: totally what happened because I show up at the bar and you got uh, drinks in front of you. I look at her and I go, she's okay. way too young. Okay. All she right. is younger no, than any movie we talk about. Yeah, okay. And so,
6: one, um, so, one time, many, many moons ago, um, I was uh, doing what I love to do the most, and that's uh, um, read comic books and eavesdrop while sitting at a cafe and smoke cigarettes. And,. Um, David Walker was sitting behind me with this dude, and they was, were talking. We were
4: having a meeting about Black Star Warrior. It was the early production oh, right meetings, on. yeah, with Matt Haley. With Matt Haley, yeah, and that. So that that's what we were. T- just to put that in context. Oh, that, that
6: is that now that's contextual. I yeah, didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah,
4: so that's what we were talking about, and it was super top secret. Yeah.
6: So they're talking loudly about something that's super top secret, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I and I'm sitting there and doing my thing, and and he said something that was incorrect about Lucio Fuji So I flipped around and I was like, uh uh-uh, oh, what happened? And then um, and then he was like, well, well okay, weirdo. And then uh, and I don't know how I don't know your meeting ended with a dude. And then I turned around and I was like, So, um, you like, like movies or something? Is that what's up? And he's like, Yeah, man, I like movies. And I'm like, Sweet, I like movies too. Uh, you want to know what I know? And he's like, Sure, kid. And <laughs> yeah. so, so I start telling him things that I know. And then he starts telling me things that he knows. Then one thing led to another and he emailed me. And, um,
4: he, no, that was, we, we, there was a was second that? time that, that was the no, first time we the met. First,
6: right. And yeah. then, and the, no, no. Yeah, no, you're right. And then and then the second time it was just like the same kind of situation. And then um, he brought me, um, he was like, here, well, let me run out to my car real quick and brought me two copies of his movies <laughs> that he just keeps in his car.
5: This is the guy that five minutes ago said, yeah, I know all these people who like to brag about all the well, stuff
4: no, that they no, do. No, no, I just no, wait, so, this is the funny part. This is, this is, this is a part. different situation. <laughs> I'll have to I'm tell not, the story. I'm
6: not just anybody. I'm cool.
4: I was, I was talking about, we were talking about film and, and, and Heather knew like, I was trying not to be that sort of condescending person where I go, well, do you know who Lloyd Kaufman is? Uh, and I think I actually said that, and she was like, look at this. And she shows me her Toxic Avenger tattoo, and I was like, okay, sorry. So we're talking, and I would mentioned my movies, and this is, this no, is it. No,
6: because we were talking – yeah, you said something about, um, well, you know, I made
4: this movie. It's got Ken Forey in and it. And
6: I was like, Ken Forey?
4: <laughs> but, like – the thing was was like at one point I got this feeling like she doesn't believe a word I'm saying. Like she thinks I'm lying to her right now. I got really oh, yeah, paranoid yeah. about that. And so I was like this, she thinks I'm lying. And I I just happened She's to have some She's not buying my shit. Yeah. So I, I happened to have some DVDs in the car and I was like about I, two boxes. Yeah, of them. I, I can, yeah, oh no, not no two boxes. So I kind of handed her the DVDs and I was, and it was more like see I'm not lying. And I just, you know, that was it. And then and then I saw you like what two months later or something like that no
6: it was well no because 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 i was like i was like i like to the guy the guy that you were talking to you said he wanted screen it's a long anyway (laughs) we got emails like i gave him my email address or you yeah i gave you i gave you my email address and you were like well I'll, i'll email you if i hear about anything that i think you would be interested in or or you know, and I'll I'll just email you the information, and you do with it what you will. And he's super. He's a super short guy. Like not not in stature, but in in conversation. Like if you don't know him, or if you don't think that he you know, or if he doesn't think you know him, or if you don't think that he knows you, <laughs> he's like super short. Like he's he's like well, cool. That's really cool. I like how you like stuff. Bye. Like just totally weird. And so it was like wow, that guy totally hates me. And then um. He would send me emails of articles that he's written, but it was really cool because he thought, like, he was like, ha, I I wonder if that one chick would like this thing. And, like, he would send me, like, an email, like, hey, because we talked about how much we hated zombie movies to a degree.
4: I was getting sick of zombie getting movies. Getting sick yeah. of zombie
6: movies yeah. and, and, and the, and the rec- oh, just... The repeats and the remakes and bleh. so anyway he sent he wrote an article and he sent it to me and i was like whoa i can't believe that dude like still even remembers my name or even didn't throw my email just away so it was like sweet cool thanks bro and uh <laughs> and um anyway so then we saw each other at the hollywood theater
5: thanks bro you know right. i, I had the same
4: reaction
6: yeah. to her and well. then yeah so i saw you at the anyway
4: and well and then kurt and i were had just started uh putting some episodes together and you know we were talking about well you know let's we should bring in somebody else and all the names that were coming up were guys and I was just like no I don't want a guy I I think you know we we should shake things up and then we talked about we didn't want just to be a you know a pretty face who didn't know anything about movies and I was thinking you know in the back of my mind I knew there was somebody and that was I ran into you. I don't remember what movie it was. Yeah. It was it was like within a couple of weeks of that. I'd run into Heather at the Hollywood again. And I'm looking and she was looking at me funny. And I was like in typical mode. I'm like, who is this person? And you were like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, Hey oh wait yeah so then it came back to me and then it was all a flood but yeah
5: so we started this story half an hour ago with me saying and then david (laughs) emailed me and said you gotta come down to this bar and meet this girl i just met this girl so i get people have been
3: clamoring for you know three hour episodes of my show and stuff so
5: sorry about Uh, that no she but she uh she was she was too young editing it up so she was too young there was no way and but she was drinking some good liquor and she told me about the steve mcqueen tattoo that she had on her back uh, and and a higher.
3: Wait, so you have Steve McQueen and
5: Toxie and yeah, yeah I've got I've got a and I've a great a cramp strut tattoo on her forearm.
6: Yeah, I like um I like things generally of uh nineteen sixty eight to seventy eight. Uh,
5: like David and I.
6: Right, yeah. hey guys, bam, chicka, bow wow. Um, no, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'm not. I'm 24. I'm hello world. I am 24 years old, and I am okay with that despite the old men around me looking at me as if I'm horrible for being so. I exist, and I'm proud. Thank you. And um, and I like movies, and I like music, and I'm pretty well-versed. So don't ask me about Godzilla. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no problem. No, I, I hang out with some young'uns, too. And every once in a while, something would come up, and I get that whole thing where I'm like, you're old, and I just say, Shut up!
6: It never comes up in conversation until they start telling me how young I am. But then, but then we'll start talking about something that we're all interested in, and I'll beat them on info, and they'll be like, "Oh, snap!"
3: (laughs) Yeah, see, that's what my friends don't have. It's like I bring up something and they're
4: they're clueless, and I have to explain it.
6: We should hang out out when you were a little
4: kid. I'm trying my hardest not to do the whole, um, do any of that with Heather, though. I, I, you know, the whole. So are you familiar with the movie called Dawn of the Dead? You know, I don't want to. There was an original one before the Zack Snyder one. You know, I don't. But because there's people, you have to do that with, and and it's and it's sad to say, but it's it's it seems like it's more and more common with. No,
6: it's true. It is more
4: common. You know, my my cousin was telling me this this story that just freaked me out, where he saw last summer or the summer before, whenever it came out, he was watching Terminator Salvation. And there were these kids in the theater behind him. And when the CGI Schwarzenegger came out, they actually said, why is the governor in this movie? And my cousin just like put his hands in his, you know, to his head and was just like, I can't believe this. You know, it's like, how do you not know that Schwarzenegger was the Terminator? But it's that's completely possible in this day and age. And so. You know, I am trying to get better with Heather and not do that whole really like, you know, well, kid, let me tell you a thing or two. <laughs> Back and- in my day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I
6: have I have the problem where somebody will say, I mean, and this is some like granted someone that is probably older than me. Like, hey, um, do you have a uh, bad taste? Can I, I I've been wanting to see that movie. Do you have it? And I'll say, yeah, Peter Jackson's bad taste. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I have it on VHS. Oh, I don't have a VHS player. No. Okay. There was a once upon a time, a thing called a VCR and it played VHSs. There are things called DVDs and there's a thing called a DVD player, but there is not a VHS player. There is a VCR. Like that makes me crazy.
5: I'm going to go to the ATM machine and get up some money and take you for a drink. Right. Go out to the
6: ATM machine. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's not VCR. All right, everybody.
5: All right. I this is show what you my like. box
3: of v- VHS tapes downstairs. It's like massive and when I moved into this house I collect VHS. It's all I, it's pretty
6: much all I have. Well, I have clearly I, I DVDs, have a but, bunch of DVDs too, but everything I have everything that's worth having on VHS and DVD. And if it's worth having three times I have it on Criterion.
3: Nice. <laughs> well, when we were mo- when I was moving into this house, uh, I had people helping me and like one guy was carrying a box and he looked down and he's like, are these this is really a big box filled with VHS tapes, and I'm like, "Yeah, man, you can't get that stuff on DVD." Yeah, yeah. and There's you'll like never all sorts see of it stuff. again. Like, like Gamera Confidential, which is just like some weird, like, <laughs> special features material that came out in Japan in like '96. Like, you know, I had to have it. So Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. And uh, you know, as Fatboy knows, I have a laserdisc as well. I have a Godzilla <laughs> laserdisc. <and> I <laughs> oh,
6: I have a laser I have laserdiscs. I've got. I actually ended up buying a bunch of laser discs, um, going, Wow, cool, soundtracks to all these movies I like <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and and I know, I mean I know Why are I, these I, records I collect, so shiny? I collect vinyl, you know, so I mean I, I understood, but I guess at the time I just wasn't thinking. I was probably on one of my um my not sleeping benders and and halfway through I realized that they were um they were laserdiscs, so I had to buy a laserdisc player. I After still that.
3: I still don't have a laserdisc player though.
6: It would look so it would fit in so perfectly. I, it's
3: going in there for sure. It's just piece. on my list. It's on the it's on the list. So uh I know you guys just posted your second episode of the season about car chase movies. What else? What other kind of genres are coming up in the uh in this next year?
5: We just shot um four today. We've got Killer Camp movies coming up next week.
3: I yeah, I remember being there for you guys shooting that. Yep. So, Which time.
4: Oh, the second time, the second time you guys shot it, because that's when I was there. The good
6: time, the the one that stuck.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, this is what it's like working with her. Um, Today we just did four. Yeah. Uh, Animation.
5: With Um, uh, special guest host.
4: Yes, special guest host, Bill Oakley, who was uh, head writer and executive producer of The Simpsons for many years.
5: And Mission Hill, remember Mission Mission. Hill? No. And a brilliant ABC, uh, short-lived ABC sitcom called The Mullets with Lonnie Anderson.
4: Okay. Yeah, I, even You've stumped me on that one. I didn't even know about that one. I heard um, you talking about it. I've never Bill
5: seen has three idea. Emmys, and we tried to get him to bring one to the shoot, but he wouldn't do it. He'd <laughs> so bring an he Environmental gets there Media and, like, Award. He could hold it, he'd like take the Emmy no, he But he's hosting the Grindhouse Animation house. episode that we're doing. Nice. Uh, what else
4: did we do? Uh, we did a East Meets West Western episode, which is um, the spaghetti westerns that had either Kung Fu or Samurai Sword play in them. Mm-hmm. Um, we did
6: nature con ridiculously out of control. Yeah, nature. frogs and squirm. And oh, you
4: guys did one on frogs
3: today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, Sweet. well, on
5: the, yeah for the movie frogs. It's right. In the, yeah, right, nature The movie <laughs> the frogs. Yeah, we weren't just talking about frogs. Well, we could do an entire
3: frog
6: episode.
4: You could do a nature episode, right?
6: Entire. You know, they're they're the world's economic indicators. You know.
4: <laughs> well, we were the, the we we were definitely going to do a nature one at some point. But it, I thought, why you know like. Killer grizzly bears, killer great white I sharks. To see
6: grizzly. That's we'd like to do that's
4: that. fine, but it's like let's go with start with the most ridiculous yes. ones, and so that was where we started. And then, uh, and two words for
5: that one for people looking forward to that one: killer bunnies. Yeah, that's all
3: there's a killer
4: say. bunnies that's movie. That's all I'm gonna say. Anyway, all right, anyway, I'll no, have to. No, I'll
3: wait no. till the show airs. And obviously. then,
4: um, and then we shot a uh, an Exorcist ripoff episode as well. So there's there's a whole slew of. Um, You know, ripoffs of The Exorcist and and a lot of them, then they sort of combine elements like they were ripping off Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby and The Omen. And Carrie. And then Carrie and all that sort of stuff. So we did, uh, I think we could probably get a couple, some of the better genres that we, that we're doing or exploring at some point, you know, we, you can always go back. Like we did a a cheerleader episode um, and that was like cheerleader sex comedies and we i haven't think haven't done horror cheerleaders. yeah we haven't done horror cheerleaders oh yet. Yeah, and yeah there are
6: m- many of those yeah
4: yeah, yeah
5: so we could probably even do another blaxploitation westerns which was our that second was, episode that was my
3: yeah. favorite episode that you guys had so if for those listening you guys need to check out this show for sure it's very very informative just like sitting here with these guys so how do you guys feel um, and I'm definitely. I promise you, I'm not fishing for you to do a Godzilla episode. But I how do you feel? Do a Godzilla
6: episode, <laughs> okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> how do you feel about Godzilla and other, and not just Godzilla, but other giant monster movies? Um, you know, I focus on the Japanese ones, but uh, how do you guys feel about those in the grindhouse landscape? How do they fit?
4: Well, I think they, I, I think they definitely fit. I mean, again, I remember seeing um, Godzilla versus Megalon in the theaters. In, you know, Sono Cinema, which smelled like burnt butter and urine, um, one of the nastiest theaters I've ever been in. And, and um, you know, those the, the, a lot of those movies were, um, you know, played pretty regularly in the more rundown inner city movie theaters. And there's a great scene in, um, in the movie Cooley High, which Cooley High takes place in like 1964, 65, but they're watching Godzilla in a movie theater, in like this rundown Chicago movie theater. And and that, like, even though that movie takes place before I was born, it was reminiscent of what going to a lot of movies was like for myself. Um, You know, when the Grindhouse era, if you want to call it, really kicked into overdrive during the 70s, a lot of the best movies that we're talking about were already in television rotation because they've already been sold in packages, and so you would see like depending on the city you lived in, maybe you'd see like every Saturday there was a Godzilla. or well, not a, well, you'd say it was a Godzilla movie because that's what we called them, even if Godzilla wasn't in them, right? You know? right. Um, and so I, I definitely think it has its place um, because again, those movies played in drive-ins and inner-city theaters where all these other movies played, and they were and they were treated. I think the most one of the things that could best describe what Grindhouse movies are is they're movies that are sort of – they were meant to be disposable. Like you're, you, you, they were made and they went to go in theaters and get in, get out really quick. And then after they were pulled out of theaters, then they'd be recycled with um, – as a double feature and it would come back. So, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out. And it does its thing and it plays everywhere. And then The Hills Have Eyes comes out and suddenly it's playing as, as a double feature with The Hills Have Eyes like three years later. Which, you know, that dynamic never happens anymore. You never see the double feature where a movie that was maybe two or three years old is brought back out and it's it's the B feature. So I think that, um, you know, definitely the, the big rubber suit monster movies – they they were they were kind of disposable. I mean, I don't mean that in a flippant, like derogatory sort of way. Get out! <laughs> I can't talk to you. But you know, when you think about it, those are the best movies. Those are the movies that we remember the most. But they are, they're they they were never treated as serious films in this country yeah. at that time. No,
3: I think, and that's that's a key point too. Is that in this country they yeah. were treated for sure as like disposable. But uh, yeah, to- I totally see that. Though that's uh, that's a good way to look at at the Grindhouse era, too.
5: Did you see any Godzilla movies, like, in the theater? When he you was right. They, uh, every Saturday when I was growing up, uh, Channel 2 here in Portland. But, like, I in the Saturday afternoon. In the theaters, I remember seeing...
4: <sighs> Godzilla uh, 1986.
5: No. Yeah, well, yeah, there was, it okay. was yeah. Godzilla. But it
4: came out here in 86, so in portland was oh no it came out in 85. did it really yeah i've seen
3: i've seen that the original the, the the excuse me <laughs> the um, the, excuse, excuse me if you knew <laughs> anything <laughs> about godzilla you would know the japanese uh movie came out in in uh, 1984 in the reshot with uh, Ray uh raymond burr in <laughs> godzilla 1985. <laughs> ouch <laughs>
4: Uh, I've heard I've heard David talk like that, <laughs> so I did that. On
6: he purpose. was just, he. he
4: <laughs> I remember my cousin calling me and saying, "Man, you gotta go see Godzilla '85. It is the best Godzilla movie ever." And so, ran out to the theater to go see it, and uh, yeah, and so that was that was probably the second Godzilla movie I ever saw in the theaters was '85.
5: Um, I saw young Gary. in the theater. In the theater, it was part of a package. It wasn't oh, on an nice. original run, but it was nice. part of a three-movie package for, I don't even remember what it was. There was, it was some weak Japanese horror movie that went with it, and and I don't remember the third movie at all. I remember Yangari. Right on. Because I went and revisited it years later, uh, did, did a Is TV show here out Portland, and that was the first movie I ever put on.
4: Wasn't the that Mon- Yangari, Monster, Monster from the Deep? Monster from the Deep. Yeah, which it's I, a I, Korean I, film, actually. Which I've seen, and I have no... Memory of it. And within the thing. first
5: 10 minutes, uh, center around the uh, Korean space program in the 60s. Yeah. I, the thriving Korean space program of the 1960s.
4: Were you about to say something, Heather?
6: I just get really excited when I've seen one of these. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, if you get excited, tell me.
6: I, I, I did. I, I saw that one. That was awesome.
3: <laughs> right on. That's cool. Uh, so... Um, so when you look at all of the giant Japanese monster movies that have been produced over the years, um, only I know that only a handful of them were theatrically released. And Dave, you said you saw yes. Megalon. Yes. Kurt, you said you saw Yangari. Yes. I've I've always kind of wanted to know which movies actually came to the theaters and would have been you know included in what could have potentially been Grindhouse runs. Because um, I think of the seventies mm-hmm. more than the sixties, and so that would be stuff like you know Megalon and the Smog Monster yeah. and uh, the Mecha Godzilla films as well. and when I watch the Mecha Godzilla films, the original seventy four and seventy five Mecha Godzilla films, they totally have that that aesthetic of feeling rushed mm-hmm. and feeling a little sloppy, and that's just as far as the as the filmmaking goes and the editing goes. Um, but do you, have you guys seen anything more recently that you kind of get that same vibe from? Oh man. Well,
4: like it was, well, no, there were some monsters in it. Uh, like Tokyo Gore police for sure is like, that's it that, that, you know, that signifies like everything about like both Japanese exploitation and American exploitation films just put into like one nonsensical package. I mean, if there's. Any filmmakers anywhere making stuff that's truly what grindhouse cinema embodies—it's coming out of Japan right now. Yeah. Um, Korea's getting some. It, the Korean stuff is pretty exciting, but it's like actually more highbrow. Like the host is like, yeah. you know, it's not really a guy in a rubber suit so much as it's a CGI thing. But um, like, like they are actually like taking it to a level of like, hey, this movie's not as cheesy as one might think, but. Yeah, like Tokyo Gore Police and what's there's Lady Frankenstein meets Mrs. Dracula. That's a new one that I that just, just saw. came out, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And some of that stuff, it's like there's no plot. There's nothing. It's like we're for eighty four minutes we're gonna have women in like their underwear chopping people up.
3: Yeah. You Tokyo know? the same guy that did Into Tokyo that. Gore Police, uh I'm pretty sure it was Tomu Haraguchi and mm-hmm. he did a movie called Death Kappa, which I was really looking forward to and it's got that same sort of feel. Actually, I th- I, I saw Tokyo Gore Police a long time ago, and I think that's probably better produced than his Death Kappa movie, but that's... Uh,
5: <laughs> Death, <laughs> now, I, is this the trailer that we talked about a couple weeks ago? Yes, the Death
3: yeah. The one that where he put a trailer out where he was addressing American fans, and he's like, I just want you guys to know that... And people who are listening to the show are going to be like, man, is he complaining about this movie again? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's... He, he was only
5: going to yeah. use... Uh, old, Yeah, old school technique. techniques.
3: Yeah. And uh, in the end, what happened is he didn't stick to that. He did end up using digital techniques. And I think he pretty, pretty sure he shot um, on digital video. Uh, and, uh, and the, but the movie itself is just a complete train wreck. And some people posted on, on the Facebook page, they're like, oh, a death cap was so great because it's, it's, you know, so much fun. And uh, if you're expecting fun and complete nonsense and something that's gonna just make you know no impact at all on the on the history of the film industry, then yes, death Death Kappa could be seen as fun, but I hated it. I hated it so much. but I showed I showed you know you know Baron von Gulu, yeah, he he was over here the other night and we were watching uh, Gamera 2. And afterwards, I was talking about this movie, and they everybody was like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta see this movie." And so I pl- put it in, and we watched like five minutes of it, and everybody was like, "And it was like the Gong Show. That looks hilarious! Like, we've got to see this sometime." So we're, I think, next time we do it, and he's over, we're gonna have a double feature, and that's gonna be the second one. I'll be
4: looking for my invite.
3: You will all actually be invited to those movies after, but you know, official guests.
4: it is interesting because I was um. I just watched this movie not that long, ago, which is really disappointing. It was this Yakuza film from like 74, 75 that turns out it was released in the U.S. Um, you know, for whatever reason. Um, What's that? It was uh, the Tattooed Hitman oh. with uh, Bunta Sugawara. And I'm a like big fan of his. He's been in a lot of Kinji Fukasaku films. Um, and I'd heard that they had released it in America. And it's just terrible. You know, and and again, it was, you know, I'm sure The Godfather was really big. And so there was all these Italian crime movies that they were bringing over, like, you know, Cop in Blue Jeans with Thomas Milan and Mr. Scarface. And they brought this movie over and I'm watching it and it's like, I know that they can be better than this because I've seen some really good ones. And so you wonder a lot of times, like. What happens when it comes over? I mean, like Shogun Assassin is, is an example of them doing it. Well, right. they took The first two lone wolf and cub movies chopped them up, made it into one movie that's entertaining and almost makes sense. Um, but a lot of times a lot of these other movies don't make any sense at all. And uh, yeah, it's it's. But that's just it, you know, because, again, filming of itself is a disposable um a disposable commodity that is meant we we want to get in, we want to get out, and nobody was thinking in 1974 75 about home video or cable. You know, they were they were thinking about again. Well, we'll show it on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they sell the
6: reels. They have their personal reels. That's all they have that's left.
4: Yeah, so. yeah. And so it's a, it's a pretty you know it's it's amazing that a lot of this stuff has endured and survived, and uh, and that's what's pretty cool. And then when you know you look around here and you're like, oh my god, like. I thought I was the only one that knew who you know. Yeah, a lot of this stuff was, um, and and that that to me is what's what's always pretty cool.
3: So, do you guys have any favorite monsters,
4: Japanese or worldwide? Does that to that be? who's the guy with the with the meat cleaver face, the blade from Oh, the face? that's Giron. He's from, from uh, Gamera De- versus Giron. Okay, and isn't there's a guy that looks like him in Is it Destroy All Monsters or one of those ones uh, with Maybe. the
3: with the head like that
4: Yeah I thought it was I, I just remember that I don't remember the movie I just remember that character And just like Me and my cousins going He's got a knife for a head <laughs> Yeah that's yeah, Gear yeah, on. Yeah, You probably yeah. saw
3: that That's okay. uh, that's one of the ones That like um, That uh, It's definitely one of the ones That Mystery Science Theater 3000 Yeah
6: I'm a really. That's probably how I saw that Because yeah. I'm like I know that movie And that's all I know yeah. Most of anything from
4: I love that movie I mean yeah. I it's ridiculous It's stupid <laughs> But I love it I'm a I I'm a big fa- yeah, I mean Godzilla obviously I just I always liked uh, King Gidra. I don't know why um, I liked Rodan too I mean I I was I didn't like Mothra because Mothra didn't have um, he didn't even have hands Mothra gets a lot of uh, flack around
3: the headquarters here and yeah. and my friend Jeff Dean who does the horror Holocaust podcast and he's on the show quite a bit he gets so steamed. And, and he, if he,
5: if big he, Mothra he guy? loves Mothra, so Mothra is the only one with an entourage. <laughs> that alone makes him cool.
6: Well, he doesn't have hands. Ladies her. love him.
5: <laughs>
6: she doesn't have hands. She the ladies him, love her. <laughs>
4: ladies love her. Yeah, yeah.
6: Can't get feely. <laughs> right
5: on.
4: Um, I, I loved. I you know I, I love the King Kong from King Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong escapes and um, I you know but it, it's it's interesting because I'm looking around here and I'm looking at all these different figures and I'm like, I don't even, there's so many of these that I don't know that I've never seen. And then I realize, like, oh, okay, I'm probably pretty illiterate by comparison. Well, I'm um, I'm pretty obsessed with yeah, this stuff. I, I never would have guessed that.
3: <laughs> well, now you know.
5: Heather, I'd be interested to know if you have a favorite monster.
3: It doesn't have to be a Japanese one. It doesn't have to be a Godzilla monster. Well,
6: I mean, it just couldn't be.
3: Of all time. <laughs>
6: Um, I think it could be. It, no, you just it, have
3: to give them the right chance.
6: No, i i i i fell, I fell into uh, into Japanese cinema when um, when they when the tentacles fell off and uh, the monsters started being people. Even though I'm a big fan of uh, I don't Japanese cinema and me, it was like whoa, that, that is crazy, and that there's always people but they're always monsters and like they're always monsters in a very bizarre way where they either literally turn into monsters Mm. or they're just like superhuman to so many different degrees but that's what I love about Japanese cinema Um, my favorite monster of all my favorite movie from the time I was five until I mean probably Mm -hmm. now was the original King Kong movie like I love I love 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 King Kong and uh, big cryptozoology fan, so Bigfoot, King Kong, that's my jam. And um, yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, really into Toxic Avenger. <laughs> it's a monster, he, he, superhuman he's, size and strength.
3: He's been radioactively mutated too, so yeah. I totally count Toxie.
6: Yeah, he's allowed.
3: Kurt, you're up.
5: I like King Caesar. King Caesar? <laughs> I just love him. I just, he's I, I just cool. think he's awesome. Have you seen um, Final Wars? I did see Final Wars.
3: Because he makes a pretty good appearance in that yeah, movie.
5: Uh, oh, and you know you know who's a hell of a filmmaker? Is that Roland Emmerich? Um, <laughs> and Jet Jaguar. Uh, I, I, jet, I, I always have a soft spot in my heart for uh, for Jet Jaguar.
3: Yeah, you said you wanted to hear the song, right? I do so. All bad. right. So, uh, I'm
5: going to sing it on my way home tonight.
3: All right. Awesome. So I think we're going to wrap up this portion of it. Uh, I was going to say that I know that the timing didn't work out for us to watch Gamera vs. Berugan tonight. Um, But as guests, official guests, you are now invited to all of the showings at the headquarters here for all the Kaiju discussions. Somebody's going to
5: regret that.
3: No, no. It's just you don't have to come every time.
2: If we had everybody come,
4: usually there's beer here. And (laughs)
6: water in the sink for David.
4: And water. I'll drink out of the toilet as long as long <laughs> it's, it's like it's as not black. black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as it's not black water.
3: <laughs> right on. I'll uh, put burning uh, butter. So we will will move on, but I do want to say my initial thanks to Heather and David and Kurt from Missing Real for coming out. And uh, if you guys out there have not seen the show, you can find it at missingreal.tv. TV, and uh, there will be lots of episodes this year. So thank you guys for coming out.
5: Thank you, Kyle. Thank You've you, been Kyle. really Gracias. good to the show. Appreciate thank it. You.
3: Well, I hope you guys continue that for a long, long time. And uh, now that I've said all that, we'll hear the Jet Jaguar
2: theme. <laughs> Punch! Go get that Go, Giraffe, punch, punch, punch,
3: Once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, solidifying that this show will just keep going and going and going for a long, long time. Seriously, it's like till through 2015. Uh, This month's film is the 1966 Gamera vs. Barugon, the second film in the Gamera series, directed by Shigeo Tanaka. This film deviates from what has become the standard friend-of-all-children formula in lieu of a jungle adventure heist kind of thing that results in the birthing of a giant monster called Barugon, who attacks, surprise, Japan. Before we get into the user submissions, let's uh, hear the post-mortem discussion. Okay, so I'm sitting here with the crew. We're gonna talk about Gamora versus Barugon. Got Cindy and Tiger. And by the way, welcome back, Cindy.
1: Thank you. It's
3: been too long. Kurt from Missing Reel and Martin from Galaxy Sailor. I actually I want to say before we really kind of get into this that I have never seen this movie in its entirety before. This is a first for me. Um, I've never really liked this film. I've always thought it's kind of boring, and uh, the only two times I've ever tried to watch it, it's never held my attention. So this was a, kind of a nice deal for me to see. I you know, got myself an energy drink make sure that I didn't fall asleep halfway through the movie. And uh, I enjoyed it, but I, um, I still didn't really like it a lot, and I, I saw a lot of flaws. I kind of made a lot of notes as we were going along. Um, But I'd like to hear what everybody else thought about it. Since uh, since our newbie Kurt Lloyd from Missing Real is sitting here, (laughs) I'm gonna make him go first.
5: You're gonna ask my opinion first. Yeah, just
3: just nutshell it for me. Like, what what do you think about this movie? I know that before you told me that this you like this movie.
5: I'm a big Gamera guy. Um, This is the only one that I've ever seen that didn't have uh, a kid in, in the lead. As the lead human, so it kind of threw me off a little bit, you know. Gamera is really, I think, in this movie for about ten minutes, right, right, total. And I've seen the fight scene a hundred times. It was in um, what movie was this in? It was picked up and dropped in the middle of another Gamera film.
3: Oh, uh, well, several of them do that actually, but I'm sure that they talk about this one in Gamera versus um, Verass, which yes. is the squid one, right? Squid-looking guy. And I know they do it in Zigra as well.
5: Well, it's... Uh, and I think they even so do I it felt in like Giron, too.
3: Giron, versus yeah. Giron.
5: I felt like I'd seen this movie, because I saw all the fun, important parts. But there were no kids in it, and it just... Um, uh, I enjoyed it, but it kind of fell flat. It didn't really feel like the uh, the Gamera experience to me.
3: Now, is that because it was a more serious tone film, or is that because... Uh, it's missing the kids, or is that because it's just kind of a meh movie?
5: It's, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of a meh movie. Um, there wasn't really a whole lot to propel it. Uh, the uh, understory uh, with the the guys trying to steal the opal uh, smacked of Treasure of the Sierra Madre, where they're trying to, you know, negotiating with each other and they know they're going to, you know, not one of them's going to knock one of the others off so they have less to split between them. And uh, so it's just all, it's all stuff that I'd seen before. There wasn't anything really interesting to propel it forward. Um, Baragon, it looks like a really uncomfortable costume.
3: Uh really uncomfortable. Yeah. I actually, uh, so speaking of the costume, I, there, I have a, like, column of likes and dislikes in my notes about the Baragon costume and, like, I actually really like the design because um, it's very long, but what I don't like about it is that because it's very long, you could see that they had to hold up the head with a wire, and uh like there's a very <laughs> a very noticeable bump on the top of Barugan's head where the wire just comes right out of there's a couple other things I'll bring up later, but uh so Cindy, since you haven't been around for a while. Bring it on. Tell me, tell, me, tell me a little bit about B- Gamera versus Barugon here.
1: Okay, this is the first time I've actually seen it subtitled. Uh, I've seen the dubbed version twice. I actually I always like subtitled better because I like hearing the original voices. I'm really curious how, how everyone, especially Martin, compares this one to the one that you saw last week or last month, which is a much newer Gamera film. I mean i grew up with this old stuff so i like it it's enjoyable it was more serious and it it is kind of just an average movie there's nothing that really stands out there are a whole bunch of little inconsistencies that i picked up watching this time like with the their great mirror array when all the tanks kind of went poof um the apparatus holding the mirror, even though it seems to be caught in the edge of the rainbow, wasn't affected at all. You know, little things like that.
3: Yeah, you know, just trying to poke holes in the logic of some of these movies. <laughs> I, I I try to avoid that usually, usually, but uh, I, I'll agree that that mirror might have come crashing down, <laughs> and you know.
1: And I agree that there there should have been honestly more camera. Yeah,
3: there wasn't a lot of Gamora. No, in this there was movie. a
1: lot of Baragon. Can do this. How do we? How do we counter that? How do we fight him? Okay, that didn't work. What's the next plan?
3: There's a less less of a Gamora versus Baragon, and more of a humans versus Baragon.
1: Humans vs. Baragon, uh, Gamera finally thaws out and saves the day.
3: So, compared
0: to the other Gameras, this does not hold up. When I when I say the others, the, the 1990s. I have seen this one before. I hadn't seen it with the subtitles. I saw it dubbed. Um, and I believe it, I may have seen it dubbed an MST3 Cade. I didn't realize until this movie started rolling, I, I started recognizing those characters. And then I had I had seen, I think pretty much everything except for maybe the very end. Um, but really, this uh, like I can't even compare because because one of the things that you were saying is like, well, really, there's not a lot of Barragon. Well, it, or not a lot of uh, Gamera. Well, there's not a lot of Gamma in uh, Revenge of Iris either. Gamera's not in that a whole lot. There's a lot of Iris and there's a lot of people trying to figure out that whole issue, but Gamera's not in there probably as much, maybe even a little bit less than in here. Gamera's really at the end of that movie. But that movie holds up really well because it has a really good story to it. And I'm I'm kind of thanking the universe in a lot of ways for this because I'm learning a lot of the pitfalls of a movie that has a story or doesn't have a story. And this is a movie that really doesn't have any kind of a story that they stay with, follow through, and and... and actually come to some kind of good conclusion they doesn't have good threads through it it does it really doesn't you could you could punch holes in this thing all day
3: (laughs) i like how at the end of the movie um the main character's like oh I caused so many people to die (laughs) and then i almost expect them to say like i'm gonna go turn myself in but oh wait a minute I've found somebody to love me. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna break into an '80s song right now. You're
0: not alone. Let's keep this. Uh,
3: let's keep this, this. killing on the DL. That's you know? right. Yeah. I want to have all these people's con. You know, deaths on my conscience. <clears throat> so this we talked about there not being any kids in this one, and I think that's actually one of the reasons I don't like this film. I mean, aside from it being kind of just a, a mess storyline, it doesn't have that same sort of. Jovial, um, I don't want to say childlike wonder of the other films, but when you add the kid element from Gamma versus Giron in, you know, it's it's not just an element; it's they're like the main characters in the story, and the same thing for Gamma vs. Veras and Zegra as well. I just really think those movies are more enjoyable, even though they're they're campier, they're sillier. They're not as, you know, serious. Um, That's one of the reasons I don't like this film as much. But uh, we were talking on the Tokyo SOS podcast about um, Ghidra, the three-headed monster, which uh, (coughs) has some similarities to this film where, uh, you know, aside from being the movie and they're made very similar time frame wise. uh, Ghidra, the three-headed monster was 1965. This movie was 1966. Um, Godzilla sort of flips the switch in that movie to be the protector of the Earth and becomes a good guy. And Gamera kind of does that in the first Gamera film, but um, he ends up saving everybody very clearly in this film by uh, dragging Baragon into the water. You know, aside from that, the the other similarity is that it's a very adult story. You've got, in this film, you have this whole heist and uh, fights and murders and eventually a love story. It's very, they've got some emotional tones in this film, which you don't really get in the other Kitty films. And I thought that was very similar to the Ghidra the three headed monster stuff, which Martin, you haven't seen this, but you guys have seen that, right? Where it's got like, sort of like the princess from the Mm -hmm. other country and, the people trying to kill her aspect going on and this sort of a cloak and dagger kind of thing. But, you know, I thought for Gameron doesn't work so much. I'd rather see the kids. What we were saying in the Tokyo SOS podcast is maybe, maybe the reason for that is that the monster fighting and the explosions and the special effects were for the kids in the 60s and all the rest of the story were for the parents so that they didn't get bored and they had something to take their kids to and go with them to the theater.
5: This franchise started out, obviously, uh, the first movie's kids. Second movie, no kids, and then kids. I, I guarantee you this is the only one of that initial series that didn't have a kid in the lead. Sure, for I'm sure, for sure. But I'm trying to figure out what the reasoning is. Yeah, was. I wonder why. Yeah. Why would why they go it? that route?
3: Unfortunately, I don't have uh, I don't have very much in the way of documentation for these films. Um, there is a... Supposition.
5: We have yeah, five... It, exactly. had to, it had to yeah. be...
0: This This seems like this is is much more geared toward trying to pull in an adult group and obviously not an R-rating one or anything like that, but I think they're trying to reach more of an adult dynamic because they're talking about... There's, there's three guys that are going to an island in New Guinea where the fourth guy was there during World War II. You're not a, attaching that to any kids whatsoever. They're not going to get... Any reason why people were in New Guinea, they're not going to relate to World War Two, the injuries, any like none of that stuff is relatable to kids and and uh, and. Even I think in 1966, I think that's a that's a pretty tough stretch to say. Forty years after World War II, you're going to have kids that are going to relate to that. Or or twenty years, excuse me. That's good math working on me. I'm an American. Um. (laughs) Way to be our resident scientist, Martin. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Scientist, not math. (laughs) And I have a list of scientific problems with this show. Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Scientific
0: problems. (laughs) Oh, oh, so many science issues with this episode. Yeah. And I
5: just it, it it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to, for them to take that left hand turn because they were the second film into this series. Uh, started out with the kids, and then across the way, uh, Toho was already in uh, '66 there in, in that Showa era era, which was all about the kids. Uh, yeah, for they the were. Most part. I mean, they were. Well, they no, they were, definitely they, they had started that, down and, that road for so, sure
3: because you're you're talking about. They go from Gidra, the three-headed monster, to Monster Zero, and then into uh, the Sea Monster, which is much more, which is Ibira, the horror of the, which is much more of a kiddie film, just in terms of uh, uh, the monsters themselves. You know, so the
5: genre is pointed that direction. But how successful
3: was how successful was this movie? Because after
0: this. Is gamma versus Geron Gaius uh, is it Gaius is next? Yeah, and then and then Giron's after that? Yeah, because I think so. Giron is, I mean, those two kids in the spaceship, they ride that whole movie out from beginning to end. So it may have been that they were like, whoa, hey, this this adult thing's not working out so good. Let's pull the kids back in.
3: Well, one thing I know is that the director, um and actually, I should check to make sure if Noriaka Yuasa did this particular film. I I thought he did all of them. Uh, Shigeo Tanaka. He's the director? Mm-hmm. Okay, so right. that that might be why. Because Noriaka Yuasa, who's the director of the others were, that are more kiddie, that guy really thought that the movies should strike a chord with children. Well, so then that's got to be possible, it. Is
5: possible then that somebody just came in with a... Different kaiju script, and they inserted Gamera in it, which would make sense as to why there was so little Gamera in it. So, yeah, so they came in yeah. with this big heavy-duty monster movie that was, you know, uh, uh, thematically and emotionally much darker, and then inserted Gamera in it to tie it in.
3: Uh, yeah, it almost it reminded me of uh, which I, was
0: the one that was going to be a uh, King Kong movie that became yeah, a sea Godzilla. monster. Yeah. Sea monster, yeah. But
3: it almost reminded me of. Um, like uh one of the other toho films it's only about one monster like Varan or Rodan. Rodan you know one of those films that's just kind of it's got its own encapsulated monster versus human story cuz yeah you could you could pull out the whole Gamera scene with the exception of the ending where gamma pitbull drags that sure but you got to know they, the they got
5: a draft their initial draft just had a totally different ending
3: yeah interesting yeah any other uh Thoughts on the movie and what you guys liked and didn't like and all that good stuff? Because I've got notes. I've got lots of notes. I
5: saw you scri- scribbling furiously. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I meant to bring home a smaller notepad, so I'm sitting here like <laughs> writing these tiny notes I, in this giant sketchbook. I don't even
5: know
0: where to begin. Like I said, I mean, I just saw Mack truck after Mack truck driving through all of the holes on this thing.
3: So Okay, so you mentioned, Martin, you mentioned something about Science issues let's pick two well <laughs> and, 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 far right.
0: so uh, the, uh this wasn't even a science one. this one was driving me nuts so the the egg ha- oh the, so the egg hatches, but it tears the ship apart and the and uh uh Gira, or uh, uh, baragon. baragon comes up out of the the ocean that's right there yet later on in the movie it's water is the killer for this dude. That was that. Uh, uh, that one was. I. Uh, I just thought that was kind of ridiculous. They
5: suppressed him with like this light misting. Yeah, it's like uh, a fern. Firmament, firm <laughs> but firm. then he has a full-on battle out in the middle of this lake. Yeah,
0: yeah. He runs out there to go and snag some dude with his tongue, and it doesn't do anything to him. So, well, um, I,
3: I liked the uh, purple water, like the light, the purple light in the water. Yeah, I thought it looked like Kool Aid. And I really wanted to hear.
5: Oh yeah!
3: Oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so science thing.
0: Yeah. The, uh, they stuck the diamond inside of the the giant ray gun, and they were trying to attract him with the ray gun. What was the color of the light that was coming out of there? Blue. Yeah, it, was it was blue. But they were supposed to be doing irradiated In- light. Yeah, it infrared, was infrared. Yeah, right. infrared, which should have been red. Blue is a spectrum of the ultraviolet.
1: Boy, I sure
3: hope someone got fired for that one. (laughs) So you're saying it should have been red light. Hey, you
0: asked. (laughs) And I'm even red-green colorblind, man. I got to pull out the color science anytime I can. I
3: said pick two. I thought that meant like the best two, but uh (laughs) 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 kidding. Kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I got lots of notes here that say like I like little things here and there. Um, we mentioned, uh, I mentioned during the movie that like what, there's a scene where, uh, this dude eats a banana on the ship and then he tosses the banana peel down on the ground. And I thought for sure <laughs> so, we were going to see somebody <laughs> slip on the banana peel, but they just cut away. <laughs> I'm like, man, I need my banana peel deleted scene. It didn't test well. <laughs> it didn't yeah, test in The director's well. cut, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the extended version man i thought that's what I was getting thanks august uh yeah uh other things i have r- written down <laughs> i um okay so like when they're in the cave and the scorpion is on the dude's leg and he's about to get bitten and that they've got that whole like semi-tense scene where you know the dude's gonna die you know he's gonna get stung not bitten and uh you've got the bad guy whose name I can't remember and he like gets all freaked out and then he puts his shades back on. <laughs> I'm like when I saw it I was like, "Oh, interesting. Some some foreshadowing." But uh it really wasn't very very much for shadowing because he immediately went over to the rocks and like decided to blow up the place. <laughs> so quick, so quick. Um uh, what would you guys think of the also the uh, the
0: guy that got bit that you could see the little rubber one that was dancing around by his pant leg but when he actually took the bite and fell on the ground he was holding his shin
5: oh <laughs> yeah i'm
0: just saying
3: oh you know what i was saying at that point shorts were a bad idea yeah
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: because that's that's common jungle attire yeah
5: speaking of jungles this is the second i think the first the uh, mothra it was mm-hmm. the first yeah. place that i saw it um, I, I love uh, like um, John Wayne playing Genghis Khan or Burt Lancaster playing Sitting Bull, but it is never more apparent to me <laughs> the uh, racist lengths that we went to in cinema uh, than when I watch a uh, crew of Japanese people go to some South Seas island where uh, there are a whole bunch of of um, black people on this island, which are all pretty much. Uh burnt cork covered Japanese man. They're in blackface, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Or except for the albino guide, Karen.
5: Karen, Karen. the exotic <laughs> name. Yes.
3: Karen, yes. Yeah. The South Seas name. That's <laughs> an original Papua New Guinea term. I, I did find that the in fight, you know, with Gamera and Barugon was interesting because there was no fire breathing. There was just it was basically like a kind of like a dog fight i guess because barragon couldn't use his powers gamora didn't use his flame breath but uh i you know i liked i liked the the monster i really liked the design of barragon and i thought that aside from the length being really cool while not perfectly executed i also liked the vertical eyelid clothing closing clothing jeez I'm crow closing what do you call that, science guy?
0: <laughs> well, the the way they actually did that, they did it a couple of times, about 50% of the time they did it accurately. It's uh, something that sharks and others have called a nictitating membrane. Anytime they go to strike at something, that membrane goes over the eye to protect it so that it's not, in turn... Snore. So so it, in turn, is not damaged by something. And there was a couple of times when he opened his mouth and he would strike with the tongue, his eyelid would close like a nictitating membrane on a shark would.
3: All right. See, now before you say anything, Kurt, this is is an episode of learning. Because in the Missing Real interview, I'm sure that a lot of people learned a lot of stuff. Not just about... Yeah. A, well, this is the people have to do their homework for this tiger. So, yeah. Oh, you can roll your eyes <laughs> all you like. You don't have to do your homework for this. This is, There's no homework on your part. I also liked how uh, Barogon was off of his knees. Like, Angulus is yes. a, very much a knee crawler That's kind of That's exactly
5: monster. the matchup I was going to, when I was talking about how uncomfortable the costume looked. Yeah. You've got to be down in that position where you're knees are bent and spread apart at the hips. Yeah, but you're um, not
3: resting your knees on the ground. So you're not resting your knees on the ground. I thought it so looked really good. I mean, it great, really really it, made for a, a better, to be you know, in I'm thing. sure. All that yeah. stuff, I'm sure, is a nightmare to wear. I know for a fact that, you know, the Godzilla suit was like super mega heavy and the guys lost weight when they were doing it because it was just so you couldn't breathe and you sweat your butt off in it. But um, usually, at this time, what I would say is, uh, you know, what did... Did you like, didn't you like about the film? Uh, But we've sort of covered that stuff. So I tend to say, Cindy, would you show this movie to somebody who had never seen a monster movie before?
1: Who'd never seen a monster movie? Probably not.
3: Martin? Absolutely not. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely not Ooh. well is, is that compared because you're comparing that to the I can't help series? It. you, I, you
0: I know. just you stacked the deck against a lot of things because uh advent of legion was on the list and so we got iris in last week and uh we did the 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 first camera that was in that series and those are just so good so good
3: well you know the deal was for the you know, the loyal listeners out there. Martin has never seen those films before and I thought that instead of having to explain who Asagi was and uh, you know, who those people were in Legion, it would be better to show him camera guardian of the universe and then Legion and then, you know, I couldn't just leave him hanging with Iris for two years while we waited to get around <laughs> to it. So he had to watch that one too. Understandable. Very understandable. Kurt would you show this not. to someone who had never seen a monster movie before, a Japanese monster movie? I would
5: not make somebody sit down and watch this whole movie, start to finish. There are parts of it. So that does that make me a bad
3: up. person because I made you guys sit down and watch yes. this movie? Yes. Yes, I would. I agree. Evil. <laughs> Tiger, what about you? Would you uh, show this to one of your friends if you said, you know what, you should see a Japanese monster movie? No. No.
2: I would mention the rainbows, though. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, the man. You,
3: the man. rainbows. The yeah. dangerous valley of the rainbow. No pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. <laughs> Just death and destruction. Exactly. That that was my leprechaun impersonation, you guys. It was, was very good. First time I've ever done that uh, <laughs> while recording. Don't know if I'll do that again. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, yeah, I would not show this to, to anyone I don't think I mean because mostly because it's a sort of boring movie but I would say that from a continuity perspective this movie does sort of have something that the other films don't where you kind of I don't think you would need to see another Gamera film in order to understand what this one is about because they sort of you know they show at the beginning what happened in the first movie and um it is a very much encapsulated storyline. You know, you never really see Barugon or any of those powers manifest themselves or any of the characters. Oh wait, I did want to talk about one thing. That guy, the main, the lead from this movie, he's been in several Dae films. He's in the um, f- most notably for me because it's my favorite of the trilogy. He's in the last yokai film. If you guys have seen that, the Great one. Yokai War. Uh, no, not that far. When I say last, the last of the '60s trilogy, he's in um, "Ghosts Along the Tokaido Highway," which is oh,
0: that's the one you always have a problem pronouncing, isn't it?
3: Sure, <laughs> sure. You mean the Japanese
0: version? The Japanese right? version. He did pretty well okay. with it in <laughs> English. When you I, I know how to talk in those
3: dang English, man. <laughs> but the, yeah, the I don't know how to say it in Japanese, unfortunately. But the, the Ghost Along the Tokaido Highway, or as the DVD is called, Along with Ghosts, he plays a really good uh, samurai character in that film. And it's much less emotional than, than this one. I noticed he spent a lot of time Uh, with his emotion knob cranked up to 11. But I digress. I thought it was okay. It was interesting, but I wouldn't show it to anybody else. Anybody have any final thoughts?
0: I do, yes. Kurt, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I I am very curious after watching this one if anyone has done a comprehensive book or if there's one that is out there about uh, model making and its filming. And... I noticed between these movies when they make models, there are some that are so well done that break apart. The detail is great. Um, Sometimes they stand out as being very modelish, even though they're built really well because of the, the camera work. This one, I didn't think the models were all that great. I didn't think things were moving all that great, and it's not filmed. So I would love to know the relationship between camera and model sets. And, and one of the things that I kind of go back to a little bit when I see these, I also think about aliens. And I think about all of the shots that Cameron did that were models that I never knew back then were model shots. And maybe if I go back now, those will stand out a little bit more. But I really want to learn that relationship between camera and model work and what makes it stand out and what makes it not stand out.
3: There might be a Japanese book written, which does you no good. does me mean no good either. But you wouldn't be able to pronounce the name. I wouldn't be able to read it, but that doesn't necessarily mean I wouldn't buy it. Um, you know, Well, it would have to have a lot of pretty pictures in it. So, yeah. It comes in a comic book form. It's bonga. Uh, Kurt, final thoughts. a couple thoughts. things that
5: stand out. This is one of the better directed uh, of the... Original series, 60s series camera. Uh, in terms of shot selection and some of the cinematography, you don't see a lot of cheesy compositing, even though there is a lot of compositing. There's shots like, uh, there's a shot looking up a city street that is lined with uh, streetlights as Barragon comes down the street towards a bunch of tanks. This is just a really nice shot. Uh, it's set up well. It's lit well. It 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 has the impact that I think that it should have had. And and if we weren't so jaded to special effects, it probably would have had a lot more. So I can imagine in '66 that was just a really beautiful uh, shot. And you and I talked just a little bit ago about um, which of these films AIP picked up. And and um, for those of us old enough to have grown up watching these things on television, it was mostly those AIP, and they were. Crappy prints to begin with. Um, so, looking at this one, uh, the reason that I uh, that I was able to, to pick out uh, that the directing was as well done in in those circumstances as as it was is because the print was really good. I don't know what series uh, this DVD was that we watched, uh, but the color was fantastic. Yeah, this is a uh, shout it factory really, really DVD. Good. Well, they they, they did they a,
3: did a they did a great job. Uh, these the commentary track that we did not watch obviously, um, that would listen to obviously, it was a friend of mine, August Ragoni, who lives down in San Francisco and he's been a kaiju historian for quite some time, you could say, and uh, he did the commentary for this film and for that other, yeah, I'm pointing to you guys, but I don't know if you were here for that, the other Gamma film. Did you watch that? Yeah. The first one? Yes. Okay, yeah. That's right, it was just you, me, and Jeff right yeah so he did the commentary track for the first two DVDs uh, which were the first camera on this one and then I don't I don't have the rest of them but they just released the next four films as well on DVD as sort of like double feature discs ShoutFactory.com. I'm just kidding. I don't know if it's shoutfactory.com that it's <laughs> ShoutFactory is who released That's it I be think a port, they did a, so yeah. I guarantee no, it. Guaranteed No, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> anyway, uh if it is, I will definitely try and remember to edit that out. I would uh I would say that they did a great job on the DVDs though, for sure. Cindy, final thoughts.
1: Looking back at the film, I have to say I was impressed with the last battle and watching it again at the you know mud wrestling scene impressed with the actors who were in the suit i can imagine how difficult and uncomfortable that sequence was and how many times did they have to shoot it yeah how many you times, hope times would you have to
3: shoot that thing i think i think you can only shoot some of that stuff one time because uh like especially with the cities right it's city yeah. destruction for sure they don't they sometimes do have to go and rebuild stuff. And I know that that's that's a painstaking process because you can't just have it ready to go and and say, whoops, time for camera two. (laughs) So uh, yeah, like in the Godzilla series, I know for a fact they have like multiple cameras running sometimes um, unless it's a big tracking shot. And then I guess they don't. But uh, we did get some user submissions this time. So unless anybody has anything else they want to say, let's let's read some of those. Sean loves this movie's dark and gritty atmosphere, but uh, even as a youngster, ugh, even as a youngster, he often scratched his head at the notion that Baragon's weakness lies in water. Yet there are several instances where Baragon is uh, almost fully submerged in the lake, and like nothing happens. He knows that Baragon's supposed to be a good jumper, but more often than not, he just seems to levitate off the ground and uh, soar like a paper airplane until Gamera deflects him like a pinball. Uh, Sean also noted that, like Ghidra the three-headed monster, Gamera versus Berogon, in a sense, is a transition film. Ghidra was the beginning of Godzilla's turn to the good guy side, and Berogon is Gamera's transition to defender and friend of all children. Both films are interesting as well because, in both cases, the monster in question is evil throughout most of the film, And then they make that sudden jump to good guy right at the end. Robert wrote in to say that he's never been a big Gamera fan. So this was uh, his first one. And and he thought the film was overall enjoyable and was entertained by it. The fight at the end actually was suspenseful. Uh, He wondered if Gamera had a grudge over being shot to Mars, Illuminati slash Planet Hulk style. I know uh, that's what I said, (laughs) especially when they show it at the very beginning. Like that's how they got rid of Gamera. Uh, uh, he also wonders if Godzilla's Barragon was taken from Gamera's Barugon. Um, it seems there are many similarities, so he had to ask. And what I would say there is, technically, this movie was released in April of 1966, while Frankenstein vs. the Subterranean Monster, aka Frankenstein Conquers the World, was released in August of 1965. Why their names are so similar, I really don't know, but uh, for anyone who has any questions about this movie, I would highly suggest listening to the commentary from August Ragoni on the Shout Factory DVD. We actually had two gyms write in this month. So the first noted that for him, Baragon was a kaiju that never made much of an impression in photo stills, but he's terrific in action, and that the scene where is flying in and out of his rainbow ray is pretty surreal. Though the search for the opal, the villain's refusal to give up, etc. is contrived, to say the least. It's more than made up for by the great kaiju action and impressive production values. And he then he asks if this was the big, biggest budgeted Gamera film. And honestly, I just don't know. Uh, fun flick and tied with Gauss for his favorite Showa Gamera. Check that out. We had two uh, Roberts write in as well. Uh, Robert number two wrote in and said that uh, he wished <laughs> he wished that he could review the film uh but he kept falling asleep at about 20 minutes in once the movie goes into the yakuza part after Gamora destroys the uh, the dam he loses consciousness so um you know normally i wouldn't read something like that just cuz it's kind of a little snarky but i agree with the snarkiness and i'm not kidding man it took me probably about 3 times this is the fourth time i've seen the film and uh uh, attempted to see the film, and I was finally able to actually watch it. It just never held my attention very long, as I said earlier. Now, the second Jim wrote in and said that he enjoyed this movie much more than he expected to. The plot was dark, and the uh, with the greed of a few men resulting in the much death and destruction, and that reminded him of the first Mothra film. His main complaints are that Baroghan's rainbow meme is just too silly, and that the science in this movie gets really ridiculous by the end of the film. That having been said, the films from this month and the last month have deepened his appreciation for Gamera. Glad to see you appreciating the giant terrapin of uh, terror there. So thank you guys all for writing in and contributing to the show. I know um, that we are really doing a long episode this time, so we're going to go ahead and keep things moving with a little cast news.
0: This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan.
3: So I posted this on Facebook last week and just wanted to make sure you all knew that the official solicitation for Godzilla Monster World should be in the next Previews magazine at your local comic book shop. The creative team was made official in this announcement as well, with co-writers Eric Powell from The Goon and Tracy Marsh. Also, artist Phil Hester uh, was announced as well, and the series will feature not one, but two painted covers. Eric Powell will provide a gatefold wraparound cover featuring many beloved Toho monsters. And uh, fan favorite Alex Ross contributed contributed an imposing image of Godzilla. Powell has also painted separate incentive cover to herald the debut issue's launch. I know I'm very excited about this whole thing. I will be talking with IDW. I keep promising that, and uh, we're just working on scheduling now. So as soon as Previews is out, stores across the internet will have it as well. Uh, so keep checking your local shop for the newest Previews magazine, because IDW Godzilla Monster World is finally available to order. Uh... Issue one is three ninety nine. It's thirty two pages, it's full color, and it's available uh, March two thousand eleven. The Diamond order code is Jan eleven zero four six three. I'll post that in the show notes too. And actually, as a side note, there's also there's a fair amount of Godzilla apparel being released recently, um, and also available for pre pre order as well. I know that I've seen a lot of it in my local comic shop, so check that out too. Toy Vault, uh, you know those guys there, the They're the people that make the stuffed Godzillas, the plushies. Well, they have announced a new game called Godzilla Stomp, and the press release came out this week and states, Godzilla continues his wave of destruction as Toy Vault Incorporated announces Godzilla Stomp, an officially licensed multiplayer card game game featuring the terror of Tokyo, Godzilla. In this fast-paced game of citywide destruction, players pick from Godzilla, Mechagodzilla, Mothra, Batra, or Destroya and complete and compete to smash as much of the city as possible. In Godzilla's Stomp, players choose the ferocity of their attacks from round to round to rack up as much destruction as possible, attack early to smash a single building, or go on a rampage to destroy several at once, lay waste to high-value skyscrapers, or hope to get a collection of power plants. I really should be doing the commercial for this, for this game. Uh, this lightweight card game includes 42 building cards, 30 monster attack cards, and is ideal for ga- Godzilla gaming on the go. Two to five players can play a speedy game of monster mayhem anytime, any place. Check out toyvault.com for more details as they are released. Uh, let's see. The next story here is about Fire Breather. I noticed on Facebook uh, that a friend of mine who works at Adult Swim helped on a promo for Fire Breather, which is um, it's a comic book adaptation of a title from Image. So there's a comic from Image Comics called Fire Breather. And the Cartoon Network had a CGI, like basically like movie. And I had never read the comic book itself, but was surprised to find Fire Breather in an issue of Invincible that I was just reading last month. Uh, Anyway, Fire Breather aired on Cartoon Network a couple of weeks ago or last week or something like that. So Tiger and I sat down and watched it. It wasn't bad, but it was clearly aimed at the tweens, you know, like people just going into (laughs) their teenage years. They do say the word kaiju like many times, which is kind of cool. But it's also a little weird, too, since it's kind of overused. All in all, it's worth a watch if it airs again. If you have the Cartoon Network and they're going to show it, you know, you got the free time, check it out. You might enjoy it. I'll have a link in the show notes to more information in case anyone is interested in checking that out. So I found this information on a few different websites, but eventually tracked it back down to uh, one blog. This film or TV series, I think it's a TV series, called The Man Who Summons Kaiju is uh, another short entry into the genre by the same people who made Gehara, the long-haired monster, which, if I hadn't said it on the podcast before, it is a little piece of awesome that was made by Shinji Higuchi, the special effects director from the Heisei Gamera series. And it is the right way to do a giant monster story, even if it does have elements of comedy in it. Um, And the cool thing is that those little comedy bits don't gouge your eyes out the way the Death Kappas did uh anyway that's not what i'm supposed to be talking about the man who summons kaiju was shot for television and uh a a fair amount of information can be found on the undead backbrain blog including a trailer of sorts this seems to be it kind of looks like a japanese tv drama so check out the video they have online and let me know what you think omg this is definitely like clocking in at the longest KaijuCast episode ever. So sorry about that, but I swear, like everything was just kind of laid itself out to be a really long episode. And um, hopefully this will uh, still entertain you as we hit the two hour mark in a couple of minutes here. So we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. By saying thank you to the cast of Missing Real for swinging by to dissect the meanings of Grindhouse Cinema with me. And uh, also thanks to Cindy, Kurt, Tiger, and Martin for being awesome discussioneers in the HQ. But also thanks to everyone who's been writing in as of late, especially those of you who turn in their homework. It's awesome. I love hearing from you guys. And uh, let's make sure this uh, Daikaiju discussion continues to be a really strong point in the podcast as we continue into 2011. Uh, Our next assignment, speaking of, is Latitude Zero. No spoilers here, but uh, you will never find a more dumbfounding Toho film with Joseph Cotton and Cesar Romero. It is available on DVD from Tokyo Shock, and the DVD can be purchased from a number of online uh, retailers if you can't find it at a local shop. Um, I do know that Netflix has it but it's not streaming. So just make sure you get your show notes uh, for Latitude Zero in before the last week of the month of January. I don't really have any kind of new stuff going on with Portland uh, happenings. Geek Trivia is back on. So again, if you're in Portland and you like geeky stuff, come out to Geek Trivia every other Tuesday at Vendetta, 7 o'clock. I will have links in the show notes to uh, the Facebook page for that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and close out the show. So if you found this podcast on iTunes or some other podcast directory, don't hesitate to point your web browser to kaijucast.com where you can download current and previous episodes, check out the suggested reading show notes, the scheduled for the Kaiju discussions and cast your vote in the polls. As always, I do love hearing from you all. So if you'd like to make a comment, positive or negative, uh, or a song request, maybe reply to something I said, or you know, if you if I said something wrong, you want to point out an error, that's cool. Just uh, simply email me at controller at kaijucast.com, and I'd, I'd totally love to hear from you. The Kaiju Cast is also on the Facebooks and the Twitters. Uh, Both links can be found on the right-hand side of the website. I'm going to leave you with the last request of 2010. This track is from the end title credits from Godzilla 2000. It was requested by Scott, and I thought it was apt as a closer to the show and to the year. So, having said all that, everything's all done. Enjoy the song. I'll see you next year, you crazy kaiju creepers. Jamata! Happy holidays, everybody.